Hello, thank you for your interest in the Ocean Mind Sangha. Uh, these uh, talks are recorded live. I give them from the south of Mexico, where I live. And they usually happen on Wednesday evenings during our sit, our Wednesday sit. And we offer these talks freely. But if you would like to offer a donation, know that that is always much, much appreciated. Um, your support allows me to dedicate more time to writing and teaching about the Dharma. Uh, it supports the operations of the Ocean Mind Sangha, and it allows us to offer scholarships, especially for classes, uh, for people who might need them. Uh, if you would like to offer a donation, you can visit uh, my website at vanessasuisegoddard.org. Thank you again for your practice and your support. So this is our third and final session of our Heart Sutra study for the summer 2023 Ango. And you know, I don't know what I was thinking when I planned on covering <laughs> the Heart Sutra in three sessions. I mean, it was really kind of foolish of me, or, or hopeful, maybe, which is kind of the same thing. But, um, you know, the thread of this teaching does run through everything that we do, of course, and so we'll just carry on fearlessly. So let me begin with, with this quote, which is in the book. As your bodhisattva practice begins to evolve, you realize that ego pain can be overcome and destroyed. The source of the destruction is compassion, a bodhisattva approach to yourself. When you practice the Heart Sutra, you chant that there is no eye, no ear, no, no nose, no tongue, no body, and no mind. But that actually means, I love my eyes. I love my ears. I love my nose. I love my tongue. I love my body. And I love my mind. I feel sympathetic to all of that. When you develop that kind of sympathetic attitude, all that ego pain actually begins to dissolve. So this is... Trungpa Rinpoche, <clears throat> in his commentary to the Heart Sutra. And it's from uh, a Tibetan translation called the Sutra on the Essence of Transcendent Knowledge, the heart of Prajna Paramita. Now, needless to say, his commentary, you know, this is not an ordinary translation of the text. You know, in fact, it's not a translation at all. It's really uh, his rendering, his interpretation, called from his understanding. And I, you know, we could, we could say that it's a reflection of the teaching which others have expressed, which I've expressed as emptiness is not really empty, it is filled with love. And then the question is, well, where does this love come from? You know, the Heart Sutra is essentially saying that it comes from seeing things as they are. 
Right, that most famous line in the sutra is form is emptiness, emptiness is form. But something can't be empty of nothing, right? It has to be empty of something. So if I drink, you know, the juice from this cup, the cup will be empty of juice, but it won't be empty of space. It won't be empty of air, of the molecules that make up that air, right? So emptiness is not a void. It's more like a no that's filled with the infinite potential of yes. It's a container that is brimming with possibilities. As cause says, it's a zero. But what does zero do? It both nullifies and it multiplies, depending on where you place it. And so, you know, we could do a cursory reading of the Heart Sutra and conclude that it's pessimistic, that it's nihilistic, that it's just denying the existence of all things. But it's not. It is actually the expression of everything that can be because of what it's not. You understand? So form, what is empty? What is form empty of? It's empty of self. It's empty of our opinions, of our beliefs, of our memories, our associations. It's empty of permanence and all of our hardening categories. You are not the fight we had last night. You're not a pacifier for my pain. You're not the parent I didn't have. You're not the life I want to live. You are life flowing, karma moving, and changing constantly through this body, this mind. In one of his commentaries, you know, in a, Thich Nhat Hanh says that, that what the negation, what this pointing to the emptiness of the five skandhas is that flow. That we are like a stream, many streams that are flowing right into the ocean of existence. And so the Heart Sutra is really telling us that, that when we don't get hung up on what we think we see, when we don't get hum up, hung up on anything, then we can see what is actually there. That is prajna paramita. So in the conventional sense, we say that suffering is destroyed with wisdom. In another sense, we say it's destroyed with love. That is what Trungpa Rinpoche is saying. Suffering is destroyed, it's overtaken by 
subsumed by love. And so to see not just what our senses perceive, which is everything, is not fixed, but flows, that's love. That's seeing something as it is and not otherwise. And so if we begin here, that emptiness is love, then the whole thing rolls out quite neatly, quite nicely. That point that cause makes about the union of wisdom and compassion in the sutra. I was reading a commentary by Khandra Rinpoche, the Tibetan teacher, and you know, she was saying something very interesting. The title, the Sanskrit title of the sutra, begins with the word Bhagavati. And that sometimes is translated as goddess, or mother, as in the mother of all Buddhas. But she says that Bhagavati principle is also the union of two forces, wisdom, prajna, and skillful means. Upaya. And recently, I was talking to my friend Yeshe, Karma Yeshe, and she was saying that in Tibetan Buddhism, wisdom is seen as female, as a, having a female quality, a female principle. And skillful means, primarily embodied through compassion, is seen as male. And of course, that the two are always inextricably joined. And so we have emptiness and love. We have wisdom and compassion. And we have knowledge. This is taking some liberties. But if we say that Avalokiteshvara is compassion, the personification of compassion. And the Buddha is wisdom. Shariputra is really knowledge. He wants to understand. Right? What is happening in the longer version of the sutra is there's an assembly of all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and the monks and the Buddha. And the Buddha says to Shariputra, why don't you ask Avalokiteshvara? about Prajnaparamita. And then the sutra is said to be Avalokiteshvara's response. Some commentators say that it's the Buddha that's speaking, and I had actually said that last time. But in the Vajrayana tradition, they, they, they really have Avalokiteshvara as the one who's speaking. And the only thing the Buddha says at the very end is, yes, this is so. Right? He just he puts a stamp of approval and everyone rejoices. <laughs> you know, the traditional ending to a sutra. And so this is unusual. The fact that it is being called a sutra and it is not the Buddha's words. 
It is the words of the Bodhisattva of compassion. To one of the, the, the most learned of the Buddha's disciples. So like I said, this is, I'm, I'm stretching here a little bit, but I'm seeing Shariputra as the one who wants to know, the one who wants to understand, like us, exactly like us. What we're doing here is engaging our intellect and hopefully more, our heart, our spirit, in order to understand this profound teaching. But I hope that every one of us is also in our way with our aspiration and our effort sitting as deeply as we can to realize for ourselves that prajna paramita. And that as we do this, that every concept that comes up, I love this, I hate this, this is difficult, I don't understand, this is magnificent, what's for dinner, that we're lovingly and firmly letting it go and allowing ourselves to sink ever more deeply into prajna paramita, into the samadhi that is wisdom beyond wisdom. When I wrote this line, I thought of Dogen um, speaking of the ocean seal samadhi. And I don't know that it's the same thing. But imagine a samadhi as deep and vast as the ocean. And you're probably well on your way into prajna paramita. And so I just want to emphasize you know, that what we're doing here is we're really, we're just really skimming the surface of what truly is a profound, profound teaching. And that, that really the, the work comes not just after, but before and during. And it, it is that finding, each of us finding our way into prashna paramita. How? As I said, by letting go of everything that will get in the way, all the, you know, the, the ballast, all the weight, because you can't go, oh, well, the weight actually helps you to go down, but anything that will prevent you from just being, freely has to go. So this is what Kondor Rinpoche says. Give yourself a break from thinking you have to do it. To see it, to achieve it, to change it, or bring it to fruition. Give a break to the deep arrogance that assumes this world wouldn't know how to function without you. You may not think about your world that way, but watch your behavior patterns. This is why all the Buddhist teachings and methods come to one single point, just sit still. And then she says, try it. You will see that others around you are happier when you do not interfere in their lives. When you just sit still, and most importantly, just keep quiet. 
Silence is the best thing you can do for anyone else. This is a, a commentary that she gave on the Heart Sutra. And somewhere in the middle, she goes on a rant. <laughs> she goes on a rant essentially on spiritual materialism, how, you know, everybody's sitting in this room and they're saying they want to wake up, but really you're just kind of kidding yourself and you're just turning it into another badge. And she goes into this whole rant. But what she's saying in terms of not interfering, not thinking that there's something to achieve. I mean, this is what the Heart Sutra is saying, after all. And then she, Kanda Rinpoche, quotes, you know, the uh, Tilopa, this great Mahamudra master, whom I have quoted in the past, saying, you know, don't think, don't analyze, don't anticipate, da, 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 don't, 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 just rest in the bright, natural state of mind. It's very difficult to trust when we study sometimes these, these you know, complex teachings. It's very difficult to trust when they say yes and just sit still. Just stop doing so much. But it's true. It's true. And so this stillness brings us to the point of that line that doesn't appear in the Sanskrit version of the sutra, but was added in the Chinese. I was really struck by that point, by that fact. So the original, the Sanskrit versions, apparently just say Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, doing the Prajnaparamita, clearly saw emptiness of all the five conditions. And then they go straight into Oshariputra, form is no other than emptiness, emptiness no other than form, and the whole list of negations. But the Chinese says Avalokiteshvara, sees the emptiness of the skandhas, and thus completely relieving misfortune and pain. Somebody, somebody sitting, doing the prajnaparamita, saw something and thought, hmm, something's missing here. Because when you see that the skandhas are empty, when you see that the self is empty, what are you left with? Who would suffer then? Where is the suffering? Who creates it? If we could understand just that point, just that point, we wouldn't have to do anything else. The five skandhas are empty. Therefore, where is the suffering to be found? It feels very real. Why? How?
you know, somebody else could have come along years later and said, you know, this isn't in the original. I mean, who put this here? This isn't right. But nobody did. A couple thousand years, nobody did. I guess a thousand change. Why? Because those who came after implicitly or explicitly agreed that in doing the Prajnaparamita, in seeing the emptiness of self and other, of self and phenomena, you realize, oh, there's no one left to suffer. Suffering has no hold. That is why the Bodhisattva relieves all misfortune and pain. His misfortune and pain, our misfortune and pain. The Sutra is also effectively saying, you know, you won't find happiness, lasting happiness in the eye, the ear, the nose, right? You won't find it in the senses and the things of the senses. You won't find it in birth and death, in birth or health or thought or sensation. And it doesn't say, but it implies you won't find it in money, you won't find it in fame, you won't find it in anything that doesn't last. Therefore, sit still and see that there is something that lasts far beyond deluded thoughts. This is nirvana. And nirvana doesn't actually exclude those deluded thoughts either. It just swallows them right up. It embraces them. But without going past our deluded thoughts, we would never see that. Right? Without going past the chatter, the incessant chatter of our minds, we wouldn't see what is right there before our eyes. And so, just to take a mundane example, this is what Avalokiteshvara saw. My hand, rupa, that's formed, the first skanda. When it comes into contact with fire, it feels heat. That's Vedana, or sensation. It perceives Samnya, or perception, the sensation as hot. Then it has an impulse, samskara, or volition, mental formation. Our translation says discrimination. I don't know about that, to be honest with you. I'm having a conversation with Shugen Roshi about it. I, I don't know about that. Most of the translations call it volition, mental formation, and impulse, right? Immediately, hand, heat, impulse, hot, move away. And it becomes aware through consciousness, vijnana. Ouch. All of that, I mean, comes together in a fraction of a second. But if any of those parts was missing, I would not feel fire 
has fire. Right, if my hand is numb for some reason, I wouldn't feel the heat of the fire. If I was in a coma, I might feel something we don't know, but it wouldn't be what we know as hot, the, the, the heat of that fire. And so, as Kaz said, and as Thich Nhat Hanh saw and, and said in his commentary to the Sutra, Rupa needs Vedana, needs Samya, needs Samskara, needs Vijnana. Each one of these skandhas needs the others. They inter are. And when I understand that behind them, there is no solid person. We get to that same conclusion. Then where is the one who suffers? And the sutra is saying, so it's not a, just the skandhas. It's also the 18 realms of perception, the six sense organs, the six sense objects, the six sense consciousnesses, and the 12 links of dependent origination. The whole list, I mean, the, the list that says no ignorance and no death is, is the encapsulation of those 12 links, which one day we will study together. I need to do a bit more studying myself first. But it's basically saying all of the, the, the core Buddhist teachings, the sutra is saying, that's empty, that's empty, that's empty, that's empty, that's empty. It's essentially saying everything changes, it depends on everything else, it doesn't last. So even though pain hurts, it doesn't last. Avalokiteshvara saw that everything is in fact impermanent, unsatisfactory, and empty of self. Therefore, Lasting peace can only be found in nirvana. You get there through Anuttara Samek Sambodhi, the four seals. The four seals are impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, no self, and nirvana. But don't be put off by the big words. Because all of us can see in a moment of something arising in our mind, if we really look, which is what the Sutra is asking us to do, we can see that it changes. Right? We can see that it's not fixed. We can see that it depends on everything else to be what it is. We can see that because things change often so quickly, it's very difficult to feel satisfied. So we can realize, you know, a little bit, a glimpse, or realize a lot, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we, first, that we want to see, and that we strive to see. In the Tibetan version, uh, Shariputra asks Avalokiteshvara, how should a son or daughter of noble family 
engage in the practice of the profound perfection of wisdom. And Avalokiteshvara says they should see insightfully, they should see correctly, and they should see repeatedly. And what is it that they should see, really kind of coming back full circle? That emptiness makes us kind. That realizing emptiness makes us kind. Because it allows us to allow others to be as they are. Without our demands, without our expectations, without our preconceptions, our biases, it allows me to be me and you to be you, truly. It allows me to let you be you, truly. I mean, is there something better? Is there something more conducive to happiness than that? Thank you for listening. Uh, if you would like to listen to more talks, you can visit my website at vanessasuisegoddard.org. And if you would like to offer a donation, know that they're always much, much appreciated. Uh, they allow me to dedicate more time to writing about and teaching the Dharma. They uh, support the operations of the Ocean Mind Sangha. And they also allow us to offer scholarships for people who might need them. Uh, so we always, always very much appreciate your practice and your support. Thank you.